Thanks, Mike. Ah. <laughs> okay, it's so lovely to see all of you today. Um, I do, if if uh, you can't hear me, you'll, somebody will have to say, hold the mic to your face. Um, I just wanted to really quickly, Mike, just honor you this morning. Happy birthday, my friend. We love you. You are such a good friend to us, honestly. On We've had such a bad week uh, in our family. Um, and uh, Tuesday, my uh, middle daughter, Haley, ended up in hospital. And... It was like at, I don't know, six in the evening, the door, there was a knock on the door and there these guys were and it was just like this little ray of sunshine. So thank you so much. We do love you and we just want to honor you today. So happy birthday. You're the youngest 56-year-old, I know. Uh, okay, so yes, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at, uh, I almost said the book of Gideon, the book of Judges. We've been journeying through the story of Gideon, and many of you know, uh, right in the beginning, uh, beginning, Mike shared as to how this preaching series came um, about, but I just wanted to share it from my point of view. So early one morning, it was last month maybe, I can't remember, uh, during my t- quiet time with God, uh, he had led me to read the story of Gideon again, and it's a story I know well. But for some reason, this particular morning, it just was like I was reading it afresh. It was just like new information. Just I was seeing new things for the first time. And it's not. Uh, in 2011, back in Johannesburg, our, our pastor, Rory Watts at the time, some of you know him, he, uh, we had just kind of decided to plant this church in the middle of Sanson in Johannesburg, and it was this crazy step of faith that we were doing, and he had these caps made and, and embroidered in the front. It said FMM. It stood for a few mad men. And on the side, it had 300, and it was kind of a, it was a, a Gideon thing. And it was just, he wanted us, us women, men, and kids in the church to just remember that although this was this crazy task, that actually God was with us and that we were going we to do it. And um, yeah, so like I say, so Gideon's kind of always been entwined with our church planting walk and things like that. Uh, but this, yeah, morning, and specifically God highlighted uh, Gide- uh, Judges, the verse two, 7 verse 2, which says, I'll read it to you, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors, warriors with you. I don't want to sound like I'm saying warriors. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> they weren't warriors, they were warriors. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved them by themselves, by their, by their own strength. Um, and so, like I said, it was a verse I'd read many times, and it stood out. And then later that day, we went to, I visited some friends, and he brought up Gideon, um, Glenn. <laughs> you brought up Gideon, and I was like, that's so weird. I haven't thought about Gideon for ages, and now you've brought it up. And then that night, sitting in Mike and Lynn's lounge, uh, Mike sat down to start our leadership meeting, and he said, I just want to share something out of Gideon. And I was like, oh, God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? What are you saying to us as a church? And we decided there and then that we were going to do a preaching series on it. And then Mike asked me if I'd like to share on that scripture. And I felt two things. <laughs> Firstly, I was like a little bit like Gideon where I was like, what? Me? I'm like the least of the tribe in this tribe. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then secondly, it's a pretty self-explanatory verse, I feel. You know, how do you build a whole message? God wants the victory, right? We, it's does what it says on the box. But it's amazing when you ask God to show you and to teach you stuff. It's amazing the things that you, you do learn. 
So hopefully I'm going to do this justice today. Uh, but first, I just wanted to give us a really, really quick recap of what we've looked at over the last few weeks. So I'm going to do this really quickly. Um, so the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so he gave them over to the Midianites for seven years. And they were cruel and horrible. And every time the Israelites would sow and plant and reap and harvest, the Midianites would come and steal and destroy and went over and over. And eventually the Israelites cry out to God. And God sends this prophet who says they can't worship any other gods but him. An angel then appears to a man named Gideon. Uh, the angel called, calls him a mighty man of valor or a mighty hero in some versions. And basically says that Gideon will rescue Israel. Gideon then comes up with this range of excuses, you know, surely not me, I'm the least in my clan and the least in this family, um, and we, we get this picture that he's, he's weak, he feels like he's weak, and he's a bit of a scaredy cat, and then he asks God for a bunch of signs, and he goes on his first little mini mission uh, in the middle of the night because he's afraid, and he tears down the altar to Baal and builds one up to the Lord, and then slowly but surely Gideon, Gideon starts taking these steps of faith. And the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. He sounds the trumpet that we heard last week and calls men to arms. And then it's almost like he panics a little bit. And so he asks God again for some signs, or as Mike said last week, some supernatural revelation. He was looking for who God was. And then God said, he says to God, okay, make the fleece dry when it's wet and wet when it's dry, etc., etc. And it carries on until finally Gideon is ready for war. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today. I just wanted to say, I just recently listened to all three weeks. Is it three weeks or four weeks? Um, and they were so good. So don't take what I've just said as what was told. It wasn't. There was way more than that. Um, but yes, yeah, so Gideon is now on the precipice of battle. You know, so last week we hear how Gideon had made the trumpet call to gather his people to arms, and he's standing there with a 32,000 man army. 32,000 men. It's not, it's not bad. That sounds like a lot of people. Uh, we know the Bible says that uh, the Midianites uh, are too many to count, and they're like swarms of locusts. So we get this picture that there's a lot, a lot of them. And um, so I'm not going to read uh, the whole scripture. I'm just going to tell it, and I'll read certain sections of uh, Gideon seven, uh, J Judges 7. Um, but then we know that the Lord says to Gideon, you have too many warriors. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. If I let you win with this many people, basically, you're going to think it's you and not me. You know, you'll think it's your strength and not my strength. And so God says to him, I want you to tell everyone that is scared or timid that they may leave the mountain and go home. And so 22,000 men leave. And then, <laughs> so he's left with 10,000. And then God says, no, no, it's still too many. It's still too many. And then he comes up with this bizarre, bizarre plan, which I'll read to you, um, to kind of split down, to get rid of even more numbers. So Judges 7 verse 4, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out there for you. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog from those Separate them from those that kneel down to drink. 
300 of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees. So it's bizarre, right? It's almost like an etiquette, etiquette test. You know, if you cup your hands and lap it like a dog, you can stay. But if you get down on your knees and drink straight from the water, you know, start packing. God set those that drank with cupped hands and lapped like a dog. He set them apart. Is there any significance about the way these groups of men drank? I'm pretty sure the point was simply to, God wanted to reduce the numbers. But a few commentaries that I read this last couple of weeks suggest that God wanted to use people that were watchful. You know, if you get down on all fours with your head in the water, you can't see what's going on around you. You're just purely satisfying your own fleshly desire and quenching your thirst. Whereas if you cup your hands and drink water, you're kind of more aware as to what's going on, you know. You're alert. You're alert to what God is doing around you. And I don't know, it was just an odd odd um, thing, but I loved that explanation. It makes perfect sense. So the Lord says to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 men. So here he is, he's left with 300 guys, you know, a few mad men. Um, God assures Gideon the victory with these guys. You know, and all Gideon can do is trust him because that's what God has said. And so there were just a couple of things in that little bit that I wanted to highlight. You know, um, it's things that I hadn't really thought about before, but one thing that struck me was the obedience of these guys. You know, many of the men that were there wanted to be there to fight. You know, they would have had a vested interest in this battle. They also would have had crops stolen and been unable to feed families, whatever it is. And Gideon asked them to go and they just leave. The Bible doesn't talk about there being an argument or anything. They just left. And it's like, you know, I think sometimes in this situation, God had anointed and appointed Gideon as a leader, despite what he felt about himself, despite what others might have thought of him, you know, and they just trust, trusted and obeyed Gideon and the fact that God had chosen the right man for the job. And the other thing that stood out for me was that God wants the willing. You know, in the verse, Gideon says to them, whoever is afraid or scared or timid may leave the mountain. It was an option. He didn't tell them they had to go. It was a, he made it a personal matter. And 22,000 men, men left. You know, surely all 32,000 would have been scared. Nobody goes to battle and are they happy about it. You know, they would have all been scared. But the 10,000 stay... Yeah, they also would have been afraid, you know, but the ones that wanted to be there were there. And, you know, God still wants that today. He wants men and women who, who are, might be fearful and afraid, but that they're willing, you know. Anyway, God reduces Gideon's army to 300 men, and why? Why does he do it? I think it's because size doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter. You know, sometimes we are guilty of despising the small things and we're dissatisfied that we aren't involved in something bigger. And we forget that God uses these small things because it brings greater glory to himself. 
you know. In God's hands, nothing is small or insignificant. And God delights in taking the insignificant and making something out of it. The Bible is full of stories of this. You know, Samson took a jawbone of a donkey and killed thousands of Philistines. And Joseph, you know, he was one of the youngest of the brothers and not very liked. They they were jealous of him. And, you know, it, it was his faithfulness to the Lord that eventually promoted him to this position of great power. You know, he saved his family and his, his entire country, and he was just one little kid, one little guy, and God used him to do big things. David took five little stones and killed his giants, and Gideon took the small army, the small army. Over and over again, God uses small things to accomplish his big plans according to his sovereign nature. With Gideon's army reduced... There was no doubt that the victory was from God. Gideon or his men couldn't have taken credit for it. And, you know, I think sometimes the great thing about the Bible um, is that we can often take these great stories and, and kind of look at them and go, how can we apply it to our own lives? You know, how can, what does it mean for me today? It's not just a great story, you know. And we might not be preparing to face a Midianite army, but like Mike said last week, you know, we, we do. We face an enemy. We are in a battle. You know, and it, you know, often we can. The enemy will wait until we have sown and watered and reaped and ready to reap the harvest, and the enemy will come and seek and destroy, just like the Midianites did. You know, the Israelites cried out for help, and we can all do that. God is waiting to fight our battles, um, and individually, you know, we just need to seek God before all else to listen to understand that his ways are not our ways, you know, these bizarre plans that God has. He is perfectly in control. And when the battle comes, we just need to fight on our knees with our hands lifted high. And as a church, I think, you know, often um, as people, you know, we like, it's only the big churches that can make a difference, you know. We're so small, how can we make an impact How can we be a city-shaping church, you know? Having huge numbers here on a Sunday morning or in the evening is not going to make a difference. Gideon, you know, we want you to come back next week to hear what happens next in the next story. But (laughs) Gideon had 300 men. And that army was, it was small, but it was enough to go to battle because God said it was. You know, God doesn't need 32,000 men. He doesn't even need 300 men. He just needs men and women that are willing to be brave, who despite the circumstance, despite our weakness, despite the battle that we might face, we just trust him, ask him to fill us with his spirit and to guide us even when we feel weak, even in the most bizarre, impossible circumstance. That's faith, right? And actually, just now while we were praying for John, I just really felt this. I read this quote recently. Faith trusts God's promise about the future despite the reality of the present. I'll I'll say it again. Faith trusts God's promise about the future despite the reality of the present. Faith is all about acknowledging our present weakness and resting in God's power and strength, you know. In other words, it, faith stops us looking at ourselves and starts looking at how great God is. It's not about us. And you know, yeah, we are human, and it's okay to feel like, oh, I can't do this, you know. And it's a good thing, because in our weakness, 
We are completely reliant on God's strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I will delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To be completely dependent on God's strength is so important. You know, what else does God need? He just needs willing people, people to be there, to be the church, to be the light in this suburb, in this city. You know, and when we, the church, follow the voice of God, and when we listen and obey, when we stand together as one, as a family, you know, like just this morning, we're a family praying for our brother, you know. Um, Nothing is impossible. I was just thinking, just yesterday or the day before, you know, Gideon is written into the great Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, you know. His faith to go into this battle in this bizarre way it must have taken every ounce of faith that he had, you know. But he's there in that passage forever. I'll read it. It's Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, I don't know how to say this guy's name, Jet. about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle. It's amazing. Do you guys want to come up? Yesterday I was out walking. It's where I do all my thinking. And I just was not happy. I, I didn't really know. This nothing made sense to me. I, I was sitting there like, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say to these people. And I'm stressing. And I, <laughs> and I, I don't feel comfortable up here anyway. And I was just, I was in that space. And God, I felt, he said this so clearly to me. So clearly. And he said, The Lord is with you, Grace City Church, you mighty men and women of valor. The Lord is with you. And look around, guys. We're small, and we might feel insignificant. This little tiny church on Colorado Plateau, you know, but God wants to use us. God wants to take our small numbers and to do mighty things. I really do believe that. Size doesn't matter. Time and time again, the Lord has taken small things, the overlooked things, you know, the things that are mocked and despised, and He's used them for His eternal purpose. And I'm going to leave you with this example. (laughs) The eternal salvation of God's people, you know, the biggest of God's plans began with something small, you know, Something weak, (laughs) a tiny baby in a manger surrounded by smelly animals and hay in this poor little town in Bethlehem, you know. And he grew up and he saved the entire world. So never underestimate God's ability, even in our weakness, our failures, our frailties, our false starts, our small beginnings, our small numbers, and turn them into his glory.